the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anatoth, in the land of Benjamin. So Jeremiah is of priestly blood. To whom the word of Yahweh came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in its fifth month. In layman's terms, it's saying Jeremiah was God's prophet through these king's reigns, and it took him all the way to the collapse of Jerusalem when there was no more city and temple. So Jeremiah gets to be the last word. Now the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, came to me, Jeremiah now saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Yahweh God, behold, I do not know how to speak. For I am only a youth. But Yahweh said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares Yahweh. Then Yahweh put out his hand and touched my mouth. And Yahweh said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of Yahweh came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then Yahweh said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of Yahweh came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? I said, I see a boiling pot facing or tilting away from the north. In other words, it's aimed toward the south. Then Yahweh said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares Yahweh, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, 
but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares Yahweh, to deliver you. Here we have this great prophet's call, his commissioning, his sending off to be the prophet of God. And by prophet, we mean he's the voice of God to a people in trouble. Sometimes that means foretelling the future. And sometimes it means saying what needs to be said in the present. But to the prophet, God is present and real. And he will only tell them the future if it relates to how they need to act in the present. Jeremiah is called to do so in a very hard time. He's called in verse 10 to pluck up. Think of like a a plant. You you pluck it up, roots and all, and to break down. Oh, yeah. Sign me up for that. I mean, some young boys like things like that. But when we're talking about people's lives and nations, you don't want to be that guy. No one's going to like you. But also, Jeremiah is to build up and to plant And sometimes God has to take us through the chopping block, if you will. Things have to break apart or break up so that they can be rebuilt, replanted, made afresh and anew. Jeremiah is that vessel. And and the whole prospect of being God's voice piece to a people who don't want to hear the voice of God terrifies him. So he immediately objects, like Moses. I, I, mm, 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 mm. Got the wrong guy. I am only a youth. Now, that was Jeremiah's excuse, youth. You may have a different one, but we all have this phrase that we return to over and over when we are called to do something that seems a bit out of our comfort zone or a bit more than we think we can handle. We protest and say, I am only. I am only a plumber. I am only a retiree. I am only a bookworm. I am only a grandparent. I am only a youth. I am only... And you can fill in the blanks with so many excuses. The world wants you to think that you are only. The world wants us to live in this confined definition of reality, to limit the possibilities, to have the populace say, I am only, so that nobody does anything significant. The water stays stagnant and mellow and lukewarm, so that the world is dominable, <laughs> conquerable. The world can be dominated. The powers that be, especially the dark forces, the spiritual powers, they want people to live with a sense of I am only. Because then we won't do anything. We will just go with the game. And the game is, here's what everybody's doing. Here's conventional culture. Here are all the gods that the nations worship. And Israel says, oh yeah, 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 that's easy. And everything else that God wants us to do, we say, well, I'm only this, I'm only that. There's a danger, there's a danger to this. 
we sometimes look at ourselves as only because we're not willing to allow all the parts of our lives to be lived at once. Think about this. Our common thought process is, I'm 33. That's what I am right now. 13 was so back then. That was in the 90s or something. Five, yeah, I'm past five. And we have this concept that I am the age I am right now. But actually, when you think about it, that's what the world wants you to think about yourself. Well, I'm a very sophisticated person. Or, I'm a very young person. But I'm not just 33. I'm not just this age. Now, I am actually still the person I was when I was 12, when I was 8, when I was 3. I am all of those things accumulating up to what I am now. And when I reject the past and those ages that I once was, I'm actually leaving parts of myself behind so that every time that I say I am only, I'm somewhat correct. Because if we lose any part of ourselves, we are diminished. And Jeremiah, hello, your dad was a priest. I think you have a little bit of experience in this. But but, but I wasn't ordained as a priest, so I am only... Oh, come on, Jeremiah, come on. But, but, But we can't leave fragments of ourselves. We can't diminish our own selves. And here's what I'm saying. The creative person I was when I was three, when the world was full of possibilities, and my imagination can turn any rock and any stick into any city, any baseball stadium, any action figure, you just needed your imagination, and a three-year-old can do anything. Do you remember that? Do you remember that former ancient self of yours? It seems a while ago, doesn't it? There was a time when the world wasn't only it was of course and it was everything and it was possibility see see the devil and the systems and the empires that rule us want us to imagine less there isn't any possibilities out there the only possibility is the one we dictate to you it's the reality we give to you but god comes to jeremiah and says don't listen to that line of thinking Do not say, if only. Do not imagine less of the world. I am God. Imagine more. Imagine the possibilities of what can happen when people take the voice of God and speak it. Imagine the possibilities if we stop listening to the kings of the world and the way they dictate reality, and we start listening to the voice of the Spirit and imagining the possibilities of the kingdom of God. We have been subjected to think less of ourselves because, of course, of course, the powers that be don't want you to think more of yourself. But God sees Jeremiah and sees a prophet he can use, even if Jeremiah doesn't see it in himself. Jeremiah, don't say, he says that literally, do not say, verse 7, I am only a youth. Because you are never and only when I come into your life. You are never... I, Brandon McCulloch does not stop here. Because the infinite God of the universe has taken up residence in my life. How dare I say Brandon doesn't do that. Brandon can't do that. 
Well, yeah, Brandon can't. But Brandon filled with the Spirit of God? I'm limiting God when I say I am only. And so the beginning of Jeremiah opens, God breaks into a, an I'm only world, an imagine less world, and God says, no, you're not only. I am the I am in your life, and I want you to imagine more. So what we will see is that the prophet is somebody who has an incredible imagination. The prophet is somebody who says, stop looking at the world as it is and start imagining what it could be when we do God's word. The prophetic imagination. It invites us to imagine more. It invites us to, to realize there is a reality that is alternate, different and better than the reality that the powers that be want us to think we're stuck in. The status quo is not reality. It is a suppressed, diminished, reduced, imagine less version of God's world. And the prophet says, wake up, people, wake up. There is so much more that God wants to do in this lifetime. The prophet is not saying, just cruise along with the status quo, be lukewarm in the tepid waters until the beautiful future. Rather, the prophet is saying, look at the future so that it can break into our imaginations in the present and we can start embodying and becoming the kind of citizens and people who belong to that kind of a future, to that kind of an alternate reality. Let's make it real in our midst, but we must get rid of the, the world that says, no, no, stop imagining that fantasy. It's, it's not real. This is real. The products we're pushing in front of you, the television shows that we want you to consume and numb yourself with, the food products we want you to eat and eat and eat and overeat, and the ideologies that we say, these are the ways to rule the world. The prophet would say, how dare you? We'll get into some of this as we go, but Israel has some pretty corrupt versions of who they thought they were. And one of the things that they were debating we're good at debates in America. We have Democrats and Republicans that don't agree on anything anymore, except, um, well, there's one or two things in the moment. But Israel was a similar place. Split down the aisle, you had the party that said, trust in Egypt for our deliverance, and then you had the other party that said, trust in Babylon for our deliverance. And they were fighting over who they should side with. And Jeremiah stands in the lonely middle and says, please don't throw stones at me, but I propose we trust Yahweh. And they threw him in a pit, but that's later. So you are not only. God's inviting us to imagine more. He wants our minds and our hearts to swell with the infinite possibilities of his reality. Do you not remember the God who spoke the universe into being? That's what his words do. They create, they advance, they move things forward. And then sometimes we're like, well, everything is. No, God speaks and things start moving. Lame people walk, blind people see, deaf people hear. But sometimes we're like, yeah, I have God's word in my life. Hmm. So Jeremiah starts off with this, I am only. But then we see through the book, he actually becomes quite a prophet. And God says in verse 18, You thought you are only a youth. Well, in 18, God says, Behold, I make you this day, not in the future, but right now, Jeremiah, this day of your commissioning, I make you a fortified city. Fortified city. Now, cities are glamorous and great. 
A fortified city means it is protected. It has towers. It has walls. It has a defense system. Think castle. So here, Jeremiah's like, but I am only a youth. And then God says, no. Imagine more, Jeremiah. You are a castle with a moat and alligators and piranhas swimming around it. (laughs) Jeremiah, you are stronger than you know because I'm going to make you that. You're going to trust me. Now, Jeremiah is obviously going to live. I mean, he survives for, what, 52 chapters. Um, he is going to be that castle God says he is. He's going to stand up and say, wait, I need to stop imagining less and imagining more about what God can do. And he does. Question is, how does Jeremiah get from this I am only phase to this, whoa, I can, I can be God's castle and launch his word. How does he get there? In one chapter, in chapter two, he starts prophesying right away. How does he get there in one chapter? You're like, I've been trying for a decade and I can't get there. Well, an insane amount of luck. Oh, no, no, I'm just kidding. That's horrible. Um, It's actually right here. It is the visions that God gives Jeremiah. The visions. Notice in verse 11, the word comes to Jeremiah And God asks him, what do you see? What do you see? These questions are going to change Jeremiah's life. What do you see? Our modern way of thinking, thanks to the Enlightenment, is that human beings are brains on a stick which I just love the visual of a massive marshmallow on a toothpick. That's how we imagine ourselves. And to be honest, and I've been part of this too, so I know what I'm saying. The church has bought into the idea that we're brains on a stick. And we think that if we just pound theology and information about God and the Bible into people's heads, they will change and they will be everything God wants them to be. Yeah, that's good. But that's not all we are. We are not just thinking things. We are loving, desiring, craving, affectionate beings too. And what actually drives us is not what we believe. That's important. Don't, get, don't mishear me. We need something to believe. But we think that believing the right things will change us. But that's not always the case. As you know, people who believe the right things but don't do the right things... We're not changed purely by belief. We're changed when a vision of what God's life looks like captures the heart and the desire. We're not pushed by you should or should not. We're pulled by something we long for. That's why movies are very powerful. Movies are the modern day sermon. The world has its sermons, and the world consumes far more sermons than you consume, even if you listen to podcasts all week. The world consumes more sermons than Christians. And those sermons are powerful because they're visual. They show you these things that you want to desire. Every movie is not so much saying, believe this. It's saying, love this, desire this. Form your life around this affection. 
What God does with Jeremiah and why he is so radically transformed so quickly is because God shows Jeremiah a vision, something that gets his imagination going. And once Jeremiah can see a vision of what God is like, he can then align his beliefs with that and his heart goes for it. An example of this is um, our daughter, Evelyn. She's four. She has this irrational fear, fear of having her toenails clipped. And guys, it's awful. We like, were worried once that the neighbors were going to call CPS because she screams bloody murder. And it took, the last time, it took 45 minutes to clip her toenails. She's kicking, she's screaming. Every time she finally calms down a little bit, the, the, the clippers come close to her toe, and like you're within an inch, and she starts trying to kick. And of course, you can't clip when she's kicking because you're going to take her nail off, or her toe off, right? And, you're, and she finally gets calm. And she, she, she just will never get calm. It, it, is, it was just the biggest burden and chore of our lives to clip her. Maybe it's an overstatement, but it's pretty bad to clip, her, <laughs> to clip her toenails. And look. There was absolutely no way to reason with her, to tell her, no, no, Evelyn, we would never hurt you. This doesn't hurt. We promise. You just had this done two weeks ago. Did your toes fall off? No. But she just can't be reasoned with. There's this fear that's gripped her because she has this vision of fear and suffering, right? Well, this finally turned, and we're knock on wood because hopefully this keeps up. Um, This finally turned when Atticus finally learned her behavior. Atticus is too. And we were clipping his toenails. And he started going through the same dramatic ritual. I'm like, nah, two of them. So what we did then is we told Evelyn, um, Atticus really needs an older example of how this doesn't hurt, of how to get your toenails clipped properly. And it was literally night and day switch. We sat Evelyn down, clip, clip. See, Evelyn, this doesn't hurt, does it? No, see, Addie, you can do this. I'm a brave girl. Clip, clip. And we're like, what in the world has happened? And I'm I'm wondering if this isn't, because we're not always rationally convinced to change. We can convince people of arguments of God and whatever, and you shouldn't do this, but that doesn't change an addiction. Addicts know they shouldn't do what they do. But when we gave Evelyn a vision of what could be, we, we said, stop restricting yourself with this fear-based world, like she's imagining less, right? No, imagine more. Imagine that you are the leader and Atticus is following you and you can show him a better way. Something's changed for her. And God brings Jeremiah into his imaginative world and says, Jeremiah, the world around you is not my world. Imagine more. So Jeremiah, what do you see So Jeremiah sees something. So there's two visions here, and both of them are important. Even though you might have read it like, this is weird. It kind of is. But there's meaning here. Jeremiah says in verse 11, I see an almond branch. Then Yahweh said to me, You have seen well. You passed the test. You're a prophet now. You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, the word almond in Hebrew, I, I only do this when it's very important. I don't like to pretend I know a lot of Hebrew because I don't, but a book told me. The, the, almond, the Hebrew for almond is shaked, with an A, shaked. The Hebrew for watching is shoked, with an O. Shaked and shoked. So the only difference there is how it's pronounced. 
in the Hebrew, it actually looks the same. It's just the difference is how it's pronounced. Shaked and Shoked. So, what do you see? I see a Shaked branch. Good! I am Shoked over my word to perform it. Cool. So what God's doing is he's doing this play on words, right? Almond and watching are just close words in Hebrew. He's like, so Jeremiah, when you see the almond branch, and the reason the almond branch is because, one, it's shaped like an eye, right? The almond has an eye shape. But second, the almond was the first to blossom in springtime in Israel. So when the almond branch began to blossom, it was a sign that everything else was going to blossom very soon. That the dread of winter is over and the hope of spring and summer is on the way. The almond branch signaled that. And so, in the same way that the almond branch signals there's more to come, God is saying, when I speak my word, know that when I speak, it's like the almond blossom. The fulfillment of what I speak will come as surely as spring follows the blossoming of the almond branch. So, Jeremiah... You have a surety in this God who's called you. You're thinking, but I'm only in this world. It's telling me to imagine less. I'm telling you to imagine more because I'm the God who says something and it happens. And every time you see the almond branch, remember that. So do not, Jeremiah, do not, brothers and sisters, underestimate God. He's the God who does everything he says and he's the God who does more than we imagine. That's what the almond branch tells Jeremiah. And this visual that he can see around him all over the land reminds him daily, let your heart yearn for the God who promises and delivers. So do not underestimate God. Second vision, verse 13. The word of Yahweh came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot. Facing Some translations um, interpret that tilting. So the boiling pot, you know, hot water is not good if it's starting to tilt. It's tilting away from the north. Now the north, from where Israel is sitting, the north refers to where Babylon, this growing, looming empire, is located. There's a boiling pot up north, and it's tilting away from the north toward the south. In other words, this boiling pot is tipping and Israel is right in its line of scalding water. So Jeremiah is terrified when he sees this naturally. But Yahweh says to him, Out of the north, disaster will be let loose. It's going to be bad upon all the inhabitants of the land. Right here we know Israel is not going to last. The kingdom of Judah is going to fall. Jerusalem is going to be sacked. The temple is going to be destroyed because the Babylonians are going to come in and wipe out their world. We already know this is going to happen. So this is not a book of spoilers. For behold, in verse 15, I'm calling all the tribes. As we read, he's calling them all over and they're going to camp around Judah and Israel and they're going to destroy them. Because God is judging their evil and forsaking him because they have made offerings to the gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. So that's the second vision. The first one was affirming. Yay, God delivers. Almond branch. The second one, boiling pot. Ooh, God destroys. Actually, not quite the point of the vision. The evil is... Jeremiah sees. Evil is this like nebulous, hard to understand. Where does it come from? Why does God allow it, right? It's this thing that drives fear because we can't contain it. We don't understand evil. 
But here Jeremiah is given a vision of evil in a way we need to adopt. The evil in this vision is contained. It is in a pot. Yeah, it's dangerous, it's boiling, it's going to scald some of the earth. But it is contained. And it only is let loose when it's tipped out. First, we need to see evil is contained. Why imagine less? Why be caged in fear if evil is contained? Second, evil is limited. The pot has its limits. And when its contents are emptied out, the devastation happens. But the contents evaporate. Once it's poured out, it does its destruction, but then it's done. Jeremiah, I want you to see that this evil that's coming, it has a face, it has a name, it's the Babylonians. And they are coming for a certain purpose, and then they're done. Evil is limited, and it's contained. You need not fear the evil to come, Jeremiah. So, in the almond branch, we're told not to underestimate God, because God delivers, God does what he says. In the boiling pot, we're told not to overestimate evil. Because it is limited and it's contained. And here, friends, is what happens when we live under the imagination of the empires that want us to live these sterile lives. We underestimate God and we overestimate evil. That's the way of the world. Your God can't do anything about this, so just live in fear and and give up some of your freedom for security. Give up your creativity for certainty. Give up your imagination for more information so you feel safer. We do this all the time, which is why we're born as super creative people, imaginative, the world has total possibilities, but then we're hurt, we're betrayed, we see that the world has evil, and we begin to give away this freedom we experience as youth in exchange for security, for certainty, for I just got to know the truth, I just got to know this, I just got to know that. And look, education, knowing stuff, finding truth, that's really good, but that can never be our dictator Because then the dictator takes away all of our imagination, all of our creativity, and we are confined to live in a universe that people dictate to us. And so, by telling us not to underestimate God and not to overestimate evil, God is freeing Jeremiah's imagination to see the world as God has designed it to be. These visions change him, and you can see how. He's now captivated with a vision of who God is, and his heart yearns for that. Every time he boils his soup or his tea, he's reminded, don't overestimate evil. Every time he sees spring or eats an almond, don't underestimate God. He's watching over everything. That's how he becomes the castle. That's how we will become fortresses for God. Castles are not only strong, but they're places of refuge for the fearful. Okay. God's inviting us to, he invites Jeremiah to imagine more. We see that God's telling us, if you see God as too little and evil is too big, you need to imagine more. So how do we do that? How do we get there? We are driven We're totally driven by imagination. Even when we don't believe in God, everybody has a God of some sort. 
We have an image of the life we want and we pursue that with all of our longing. We're pursuing that image. Israel did it with idolatry. You saw in verse 18. And they worshipped the works of their... Oh, 16. They worshipped the works of their own hands. That's the good life right there. That's what I'm pursuing. But you made it. I know, it's great. I can control it. Oh, I get it. You exchanged a world of possibilities for this limited world because you can control it. What God is doing here is He's inviting us to play in His Word. He's inviting us to play. I fear we don't play in His Word very often. Notice, notice what he does with the whole almond watching the shockhead, shokhead. God is doing these play on words. God is extremely poetic. God is extremely imaginative with what he shows Jeremiah. God is whimsical. God has fun. And yet sometimes we come to his word and it's more like, we've got to be super serious about this. And yes, we need to treat it respectfully. But look at how God plays in his word. We sometimes get so obsessed with observation, interpretation, application. Observation, interpretation, application. We get so nuanced in Scripture that we're often so consumed with, how do I apply this into my life? As if this was a band-aid designed for my reality as I see it and say, oh, I have these fears and these worries and these problems, so boom, I'm cured. I applied it to my life. It's a good start. It's a good start. But see, the prophet is someone who's calling us beyond that. The prophet is someone who's saying, okay, great, 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 great. But this is not just about interpreting the scriptures. This is about imagining the reality that the scriptures are inviting us to if we actually lived this out. So Jeremiah is learning to play in God's word that there is something here that's to be seen, that's to be felt, that's to be imagined. Now, as thinking beings who are brains on a stick in the Western society, we love Paul's letters because Paul speaks to the brain, right? Paul's all about, you know, doctrine and these arguments. You're like, most of us, if we're honest, can't follow what Paul's saying. So we love it when people teach Paul's letters. He's like, oh, I can pretend I understand it for an evening. And like, oh, that makes sense. And you walk away like, I don't remember a thing the teacher said and it doesn't make sense when I read it. That's Paul, right? And we love in the West to wrestle with Paul because he appeals to our heads. But the prophets, not everyone, you don't hear many people say the prophets are my favorite books. They're kind of those, like, I don't know what's going on. They're angry. There's destruction. It's like, we can't stay with the New Testament. The prophets are all about the heart. The prophets are engaged with the affected, they are the effective, emotional, desiring human being. The prophets teach us to imagine. That's why it's harder, because we don't exactly know how to pinpoint the prophets. Everything's like, well, I feel what they're feeling, but I'm not sure I know how to make a doctrine out of that. That's the point. The prophets understand the voice of God, that it's playful. And you cannot become a tyrant and be playful at the same time. I remember my teacher, back when I was in the school of ministry, our um, preaching teacher said, and if I remember this, I mean, you know, 
if you remember anything from school, it's pretty good. Um, he said, when you preach the prophets, preach with feeling. Because the prophets are all about emotions. So that's really interesting. Because usually we're like, oh, we've got to give the, the right beliefs here. And like, he said, the prophets are about feeling. And so when we come into the prophets, we need to see that they are taking us to a different approach to God's word where there are limitless possibilities and God is showing us a world that is possible even here and even now. And to let ourselves see and feel what is there. Because that's what we're drawn by anyways, is what we can see. Vision, imagination. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry Barry, the French writer who wrote Little Prince. It's a mouthful of a name. I butchered it, but it's okay. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, something like that. He said, if you want people to build a ship, do not drum them up to cut down trees and gather wood. Do not give them plans of how to make it. Rather, he says... Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. If you want people to make a ship, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And that hit me as so true. We can tell people what to do and they'll do it, but not with all their hearts. Or you can capture their desires with their imagination. You can give them a vision of something more. Imagine more. See, if you tell me just to build a ship, I'm like, okay, these are the rules, these are the laws, and make sure it doesn't leak, and it's kind of tedious. Or you can teach me to yearn for the seven islands, or for the sea monsters, or for the treasure, or for the pirates, or for the whatever is out there. You can teach me to yearn for the endless immensity of the sea. Now I have a vision of what I'm building for. Now I have a longing that's driving me out there. That's what compels people. That's what the prophets do. That's what Jeremiah does. So, the prophets give us a window into God's true world. We live confined in this house of fear, exchanging our imaginations for safety and security, telling ourselves that we are only, we're imagining less, and the world and its powers are condensing us in this house. But finally, the imagination of the prophets busts open a hole in the wall and shows us a window of what's out there and beyond and says, come, play in God's world. And what some do is say, Ooh, look at the window. Wow. Is this double paned? Look at the frame and oh, oh, fingerprints. We gotta get those fingerprints and oh that that's where the whiffle ball hit the window. See the little white smudge there? And oh, hard water streaks, we gotta find a way to clean those. That's what some people do. From inside the house, they study the window. No, you're wrong. That's a fingerprint. No, that's bird poop. Fingerprint, bird poop. Fine. I'm starting a school of bird poop. You start your school of fingerprints. But then others say, are you crazy? The window is meant to be seen through. Look at the world out there. And it's inviting us to play. Why are we living in this constriction? It's, it's saying, imagine more than you're living in. And that's what the prophets do. They say, okay, yes, understand God's word, interpret it, apply it, all that stuff, but don't forget to use your imagination. 
Because God in the prophets is inviting us to an alternate reality. He's saying, look, you don't like the present? Then believe in a revisionist future. There's revisionist history where you change the historical facts, kind of measure up with your message. Believe in revisionist future. You use the creativity and imagination that God's showing you in his scriptures. And you say, that's what the future can be. Let's create it. Let's live it. Let's press in together and say, why do we have to settle for the, the, the philosophy and the powers of this world? The window is here. We're staring at it with crossed eyes. Why don't we look through it and say, that is where we're to go. That's what we're to do. Imagination. Playing in God's scriptures. C.S. Lewis said that children pretend, right? They, they play, they have wild imaginations, and they'll pretend to be soldiers, to be teachers, to be pastors. They, they make believe play, right? Things that they aren't really, because it's forming their bodies, their muscles, and their wits to become those things eventually. I love that. God's word is inviting us to an imaginative approach to see a, a reality that's possible so that as we imagine it, we can then begin to actually embody it as the vision pulls us, pulls our hearts and our desires and our longings forward, rather than feeling the fire of do and do not underneath us. That's the power of the prophets. That's the power of God's word, what he's going to invite us into, to play in it, to have fun with what the prophets are showing us, to feel what they're expressing and to see the future that they're talking about and to envision what that can look like if we begin to live it. So yeah, I get it. I get it. You read the prophet like, I'm not sure if that's referring to the millennium or to heaven or to 1948 when Israel became a nation. I'm not sure. So I'm just going to let the experts tell me. Don't, you're missing the point if that's what you do. Because to be honest, most of those commentators No two agree on interpreting the future of some of these things. No two agree. What God is showing us is the possibility of what can be so that we can live with more imagination now, not less. He's inviting us to play. So lighten up. Yes, evil's pressing. And if to you that's the Democrats, fine. If to you it's Trump, fine. If to you it's, it's terrorism or it's the economy, whatever. There's evil, potentially there's evil working everywhere. I know, I hear us all talk about it. Evil's behind every rock, right? Remember though that that's not actually how God wants us to live. You're not playing when that's how you live. You're overestimating evil, you're underestimating God. Let the visions capture you to the possibilities, even despite the times we live in. And that playful church, that playful Christian, that will compel the world, right? We want the world to live God's way. We don't say, well, this is how you do it, and these are the rules, so get these logs and put these together. You don't build a ship that way. You teach people to yearn, to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You teach them to learn, yearn, to long for the, the endless possibilities of the kingdom of God. That's what pulls people's affections to Christ. And that's what we'll do the same for you too. Father, we pray.